Hello and welcome back. You're listening to the ACAP Coffee Break with Meg Murray, a podcast from the Association for Community Affiliated Plans. Thanks for listening. Our guest today is Eric Hunter, the CEO of Care Oregon, a founding ACAP member plan. Here's Meg. Welcome to the ACAP Coffee Break podcast. And today we have Eric Hunter, who is the CEO at Care Oregon. He is also on our ACAP board of directors and has been a longtime ACAP uh, board member um, at several plans, which we'll probably hear about. Um, So welcome, Eric. Thank you, Meg. Great to be with you. Well, one of the things we like to start off with is just what led you to healthcare. Why are we so lucky to uh, have have you on in our industry? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure who's the lucky one, the industry or me. I, I think that um, you know I don't know that I had a choice to be in healthcare. Although when I went to college, it wasn't my first choice. Um, but I grew up uh, an army brat. Uh, my father was serving in the army. I was an army medic, uh, so we worked in the hospitals uh, the whole time I was growing up. And at the same time, my mother was a nurse working for the civil service. So she was an ER nurse in the same hospital my father worked at, which was across the street from my grade school. So uh, every day after school, I would go across the street and hang out with my mother in the ER, my dad in the lab. And, um, and so that's, that's sort of what I knew um, was, was the healthcare world uh, for folks that were sort of intimately involved in it, not from an administration standpoint. And, and, and it, there was just, you know, I didn't realize how much it was really ingrained in me at the time uh, until I got further in, in life and started designing what my career would be. Um, you know, after that, though, you know, I went to I went to school, a math and science nerd, uh, wanted to be a petroleum engineer. So that was that was my life goal. Uh, and that was in Oklahoma, from, right? Is that that's why that, you were interested in that was the University of Tulsa. Um, the, the first time I was ever in Tulsa, Oklahoma or Oklahoma proper was when my parents drove me there to drop me off at school. Um, and, and I, I thought that's what I wanted to do for a profession, be a petroleum engineer. And, you know, it didn't take me long to realize that probably wasn't what I wanted to do for a living, but I'm sort of stubborn. So we sort of stuck with it um, at a time when the oil industry was not doing too well in the late eighties. And, and so that really, that really positioned me to get involved in, in politics from an advocacy side, from a uh, campaign side. And, and that ultimately led to healthcare. It was, it was really, it's always been sort of happenstance that I got back into the business, but I think it, it always boils back down to um, wanting to make sure that folks who need care are getting it sort of in the right way. You know, um, so the politics I speak of was, in a, a gubernatorial campaign in Oklahoma with a candidate that we didn't necessarily think would win. It was a, a hobby of mine to be involved in politics. And, uh, and Governor Walters did, in fact, win the election, hired me on, and I was ultimately doing appointment supports and commissions, uh, which had me working directly with him and his medical leads uh, to take the advice of John Kitzhaber, who had come to Oklahoma to speak about uh, managed care. And our governor decided, hey, we're going to do Medicaid managed care in Oklahoma. And this is 1993, 94. And I worked with his, his health care advisors on the legislation and setting up the commissions that would create the Oregon health, Oklahoma Health Authority. And ultimately, um, you know, created the Medicaid managed care in a, in a state that's still, it was then and is even more so now very red and not a huge fan of managed care. But 
but that's that's really how I got back into into healthcare was through state government and standing up a Medicaid managed care program uh, that actually went live in 1995. So you, and then you come came full circle by ending up in Oregon. But I, I want to talk a little bit about your circle because I know the first time that I met you, you were at um, BMC HealthNet in Boston. And so can yeah. you tell us a little bit about how you got to BMC and then to Care Oregon? Yeah, Boston Medical Center HealthNet plan was um, a plan that I, I was really, uh, really high on. They still do amazing work. Um, prior to being there, I was with Value Options Behavioral Health. Uh, I'd been working with them uh, for about three years in Illinois and then in Dallas, Texas, uh, managing behavioral health programs and substance use disorder programs uh, in a really collaborative community-based manner with them. Um, and I think we had some amazing programs going, this amazing work, but the, the Affordable Care Act changed the entire dynamic of, obviously, as we all know, of, of Medicaid, of managed care, of the healthcare system in the country. And, and it felt to me that, um, that with my history at the state and with other managed care, fully capitated entities before value options, that I wanted to be involved in more of the system than just the sort of the behavioral health part and really you know, dive into the integrated care aspects, the linkages to community care, social determinants of health. The Boston Medical Center Health Net Plan was poised to be a regional player in that. The, go the goal was at Boston Medical Center Health Net Plan to be in five states in five years and to start a, you know, a one care duels program and to get on the exchange. And, and that was exciting to me to really engage in the full breadth of the ACA. And so I, uh, I moved from Dallas to Boston in uh, 2013 and, uh, and loved the work that we were doing up there in Boston in a place that, you know, sort of a precursor to Oregon was also very progressive and creative and innovative in how they developed and designed healthcare programs. And so, uh, so that was, that was, that was my Boston introduction and um, to get to care Oregon, you know, that it was, it was a, it was a difficult choice in that I hadn't been on the back on the West coast in a long time since growing up in Arizona. Um, but I'm a West coast guy, I think. So that part was easy. Uh, but, but coming across country to an entity that for the first time didn't have um, a parent hospital, uh, wasn't provider sponsored, wasn't um, a national company. I worked for Centene for a couple of years and the value options was a national company. Uh, Care Oregon was a really homegrown, locally owned and governed entity that had no other responsibility than doing the right thing. And so when a recruiter called me about Care Oregon, you know, Boston Medical Center Health Net Plan was pivoting away from fully capitated managed care, at least at the plan level, into the ACO model in Massachusetts, had sort of foregone the idea of getting into multiple states and those kinds of things. So um, the opportunity to come to Care Oregon, where we, we had a presence in the state that was probably even greater than the number of people we serve by, by history and reputation and, and I couldn't pass up the opportunity to try to be a part of something that has, has really dedicated itself to being transformative and developing partnerships and, and seeing, can we take it to the next step? You know, can we, can we go beyond the, the work we're doing just for our members and some things in the community and, and, and put it on steroids and really rededicate ourselves to partnerships and innovation and value-based payments and fully integrated care and integrating social determinants into the core structures 
of our programs instead of the periphery. Um, so that's so that's how I got to sunny, sometimes Portland. <laughs> well, Care Oregon was one of the founders of ACAP. So that vision, I know, goes back way to the 20 years ago when um, and I think Care Oregon's maybe, what, 25 years now? 27 now. 27, 27 yes. Mary Lou Henrich was the CEO then and yes, helped, and still, helped found ACAP as part of her vision. The, the... She, is, she is still very active in the community and speak to her every once in a while. Uh, she's a very active uh Healthcare for All Oregon spokesperson, and uh, and I think continues to bring sort of that initial care Oregon energy to the space. And, and I think that's another thing that's, you know, Dave Ford, who was the CEO after Mary Lou, is also uh, very much engaged in discussions about um, community health and education. And he's actually on a task force that we created at Care Oregon, along with some school superintendents on the confluence of health and education. Uh, so Dave has joined us to talk about how do we engage superintendents and healthcare entities, not just payers, but the hospitals to say, what we have, you know, we have access to kids and parents and facilities and how do we align the needs and do the work? And again, I think that's just another way to say, let's go beyond just paying claims. We don't underwrite. That's not why we exist. We, we exist to do the right thing for as many people as possible. And I think, uh, I think the fact that Mary Lou continues to be involved, Dave continues to be involved, um, it just shows that Care Oregon, from its very nature at the beginning, has said, let's be transformative. And I, I hope to be able to continue that. Right. And attract those types of people to your, your staff. And, and though Dave was very involved in, in ACAP as well when he was CEO. So that's actually a great turning point to COVID because uh, certainly all those issues you're talking about come to the fore and trying to address the COVID crisis. And um, I know you, you talked to me beforehand a little bit about some of the innovative things Care Oregon is doing with trying to get more people vaccinated. Um, and so I, th I thought maybe you could just tell our audience a little bit, especially about the paramedics. I, I thought that was fascinating how you're using them. Yeah, no, thank you. I think, you know, Care Oregon, like a lot of uh, payers, particularly safety nets, um, Medicaid payers, uh, we're, we're struggling to find our exact role in all of this. Um, you know, as, as everyone knows who would listen to this, that, you know, initially the uh, distribution of the vaccine in Oregon went to hospitals. You know, they, they were, they had the, the, the freezers, they could, you know, they had the distribution system. So they were driving uh, vaccinations even for sort of their own employees and for first responders and now teachers and all that. Um, you know, one of the first things that we did was engage the state and others to say, look, we, we have to make sure we go beyond just the hospital systems because our network is primarily a safety net network. And those folks were left out of the initial distribution because they weren't part of a hospital system. They weren't affiliated. And so uh, we worked with the state to engage and say, no, we, we've got to include the safety net providers who have the capacity um, to become uh, vaccine sites as well. So that was the first thing we did in saying, look, we, we've got to go beyond sort of traditional brick and mortar hospital delivery system to get the, um, the vaccines to at least the frontline people who are in safety net uh, provider systems. And so that was one of the first things we did. Then you know, we started to pivot to, all right, now how do we get to more people that, that need to get vaccinated beyond sort of hospital employees and medical healthcare folks, uh, particularly the most vulnerable and the homebound. Uh, we have a palliative care and a hospice care uh, side of the business. 
uh, with a number of employees. We had to get vaccinated because they're still going into homes. Uh, and then how do we get the people that they serve vaccinated? So one of the things that uh, our creative team in our Columbia Pacific, one of our affiliated CCO coordinated care organizations um, started doing is they partnered with uh, Columbia County, which is just northwest of Portland, um, and the um, Columbia River Fire and Rescue System to use paramedics as vaccinators so that the paramedics would get the lists from data that the health plan and the, and the county had to actually go into the homes of people who could not navigate the the internet system to get an appointment or to, or to leave their homes to go to a mass vac site uh, or even necessarily understood what was going on. And they would, they, the paramedics would actually go into the homes, uh, do a quick assessment, uh, understand what the needs were of the patient, do the vaccination and then sit with them for the time after the vaccination to make sure there are no adverse effects. And they were obviously trained if there were. And that program has been amazing in saying, you know, look, we, we need to think outside of the box and get those folks who are traditionally missed when we do sort of basic routine work. And so uh, our partnership with paramedics, uh, you know, this is an example in Columbia Pacific CCO in our Jackson Care Connect CCO in Southern Oregon. Uh, we've been using community paramedicine for a while as well and then trying to use them as extenders of the system. So I think that's just another way we say, let's, you know, let's, let's have no wrong door. Let's get everyone we can involved in getting healthcare access to everyone. So we're, we're really proud of that program. And, you know, can it be duplicated in, in the Portland metro area? I don't know. Uh, it'll be a little more complicated, but we're working with, with our partners in the hospital systems and first responders to see, um, you know, turn over every rock and do everything we can to get those same folks engaged. Another area where I know Care Oregon has been very innovative um, with your communities in housing. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the work on, on housing. I have a picture somewhere on our file of you with a hard hat on and <laughs> a, a building was starting to be built. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think my staff would say I don't necessarily need a hard hat because I'm hard headed enough. But um, but that was, I think the picture you're speaking of was, was part of a, an effort of partnership we had with the major healthcare systems in the Portland metro area and a an FQHC called the Central City Concern. And Central City Concern uh, brought folks together to say, look, we, we need to sort of change the paradigm of, of being aggressive in developing uh, not only sort of hospice and sort of immediate stay and, you know, shelter beds, but but more long-term housing, more, you know, permanent supportive housing specifically um, and transitional housing for folks that was incorporated into the healthcare delivery system. So you'd have on-site care managers and a dental clinic and pharmacy and all that. And so uh, we contributed to sort of the seed funds of an effort that ultimately raised about $80 million to build three really world-class facilities across the Portland metro area that are providing over 500 uh, residential units, uh, FQHC clinics, behavioral health on site, um, and and you know, and I think Care Oregon was able to not only help sort of provide some seed funding, but also then to work with Central City Concern to provide sort of base startup funding because folks think it's it's easy once you build the building, then you have to run it, you know, and it takes a while to get billings and claims in, particularly in FQHC. So we provided support there, and we continue to work with them on a clinical basis to say, how do we design programs that will 
help folks transition through the systems, you know, leading on the road to recovery for folks who have SUD or behavioral health issues and make sure that they're incorporated into the primary care. And so we saw housing, you know, as more than sort of the buzzword of a social determined health aspect, but said, you know, let's work with our partners to get concrete, design something, build something, get people in there, get people served, and, and that's just really the, the start of it. I think Portland has been uh, incredibly aggressive in trying to identify solutions to housing issues. And a number of our partners that we have a lesser role with, sometimes it's just funding, but uh, the NAIA, a Native American group has built you know, Native American supported uh, pri primary housing. Uh, Portland Community Reinvestment Initiatives is focusing on repatriating African-Americans from Portland neighborhoods that have been gentrified to let them come back into the neighborhoods and their families. Uh, the city and county in Portland and the metro have a number of efforts to, to you know, really spur the building of, of low, low cost housing and housing to support folks. And we're trying to be a part of all those mechanisms to say, um, you all build the housing and we'll do what we do best and try to provide the sort of those wraparound services and coordination and partnerships to make sure folks that are there can stay there and get served while they're there. And are some of the apartments designated for Care Oregon um, beneficiaries or how does that? No, not, not really. I think we, we actually go out of our way to, um, you know, maybe to a fault to say that the, the resources and the utilities that we work with our partners on are community benefit. They're, they're, they're not, um, we, because of Care Oregon's scale and scope in the Portland Metro, uh, the majority of folks that have Oregon Health Plan benefits are CARE Oregon members. You know, so uh, two-thirds of them in the metro are CARE Oregon members for acute care. All of them are CARE Oregon members for behavioral health and dental and transportation. Um, and so, so you know, we think we have a stake in everyone being healthy. We think the, the community as a whole being healthier uh, serves our population as well. So, yeah, we, we've not tied those kind of strings to it. We, we just asked to be engaged in the dialogue and and our history in working with these partners have, have had no one tell us no um and so we, we don't have to tie direct beds but you know if, if they want to say hey we'll designate these few for you we we would take it and we would fill them but uh, that's not been necessary mm -hmm. well, i think that's a testament as you said to care oregon's broader vision of what community means and and why care oregon's been such an asset uh into the state yeah, we're, we're just so proud of that, you know, that reputation. And I think that we've had, um, you know, like, like many companies have had to think about our own mortality and, you know, a changing landscape of, of partnerships and new competition. And, and we've explored opportunities to do things with other companies. But at the end of the day, it always came back to uh, any of those opportunities have to be tied to supporting the CARE Oregon mission, our, our ability to be um, agnostic to um, religion or gender or location or geography or uh, you know, sexual orientation, that everyone is treated the same, that everyone gets the same opportunities. And if we can find a partner that works with us and allows us to express that mission and to serve our populations, we may think about doing something in the future. But, um, but I think that's been the key to anything we do and any partnership we have. And that's going to that's gonna hold true uh, for anything we consider in the future.
Well, that, that's a big job for you um, in terms of leading Care Oregon as an organization, as well as also, you know, kind of pushing a, a broader vision in your state and nationally in your role at ACAP. So I'm curious um, in terms of what you do to relax, um, are you a reader? Do you, what books are, what books inspire you? We, we have a Goodreads list, our, our loyal listeners know, and we always like to add books to that list. So you can find that at Goodreads slash ACAP. Yeah, you know, I um I, I read a lot of far too many trade manuals. I'm sort of a, a wonk at it. So uh, a lot of the links that ACAP or, or other sort of national trade associations send or uh, modern healthcare and uh, you know, Kaiser Foundation. And so I, I read all that stuff all the time in multiple newspapers. But but I think that, you know, as, as I mentioned, I got into this business through politics, frankly. Um, and so when it comes down to it for me, um, I, I try to expand a little bit to read into how do we get the systems and the political culture and climate so that we can do the things that we all think we know will make the systems better and, and get beyond sort of partisanship and a sort of BS uh, to actually do what's right. And so, um, you know, one book I've, I've been reading, it's called Lies Incorporated, um, the world of post-truth politics. Um, and, and it's uh and it, it's an interesting read because it speaks to sort of the, the dynamics that make substantive change that much more difficult uh, in our country now, because it was one thing in the years, even in Oklahoma, trying to sell Medicaid managed care to, to rural doctors. Uh, we would make an argument, we would have conversations, we'd have a discussion, we may or may not agree, but the facts were the facts. Uh, that's not always true anymore. So, so, the, so the real challenge is how do we get beyond that? How do we have conversations so that everyone's working from the same page and then we can have a substantive intelligent conversation about what the best or right solution is for any situation. And so, uh, yeah, Lies Incorporated, uh, Post-Truth Politics, I think really highlights some of the challenges that sort of await anything that folks wanna do to do good or do well um, if they're gonna have barriers where you know, it's going to be back to, you know, we all remember death panels and those kind of things. Uh, those, those, while they're not true, they change the entire tenor of a conversation and can really do damage to, um, to the ability to provide for the public good. So, so it's, it's not necessarily light reading, but it's, uh, it's informative and it's the kind of thing that, uh, that sort of triggers my brain to, into overdrive to say, how can we sort of do the next step in making a difference? Yeah, sounds like that's what keeps you fighting. So that's good. <laughs> well, we appreciate your time and we'll let you get back to work now that we've had our coffee. And well, thank um, you so much. Yeah, thank you for your, as I said, for your time. Thanks for listening. You can find Eric's book recommendation and others in our Goodreads bookshelf. Find the link in the description of this podcast. Don't miss an episode. You can find and subscribe to the ACAP Coffee Break wherever you get your podcasts. And when you do, give us a shout on Twitter using the hashtag ACAPCoffeeBreak. We'll put you in a drawing for a Starbucks gift card. So the next time you tune in, your coffee's on us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.